We stand now for the reading of the gospel. The fifth chapter of Matthew, our looking at the Sermon on the Mount, continues. Beginning at verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteous, righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. God. Our children can go to children's worship. I always find that one of the dearest moments in worship. You pardon me while I just simply enjoy it. Years ago, I decided to go to Klingman's Dome after dark. Klingman's Dome was one of the highest, if not the highest, point in the Smoky Mountains. I have this desire to see the stars without all the light pollution of a city. I would also be over 6,000 feet above sea level. And so there'd be 6,000 feet of atmosphere I would not have to look through to see those stars. Both of my sons-in-law decided to go with me. Entering the National Park, I discovered how dark is dark. Concentrating on winding mountain roads, recalling the magnificent views afforded in daylight, but also knowing that on many of those hairpin curves, it was a long way down. In a city, streetlights poke holes in the darkness. But here in this darkness, it was punctuated by a running critique of my driving. You sure are slow. <laughs> yeah, but you're still alive. <laughs> we drove as far as we could. And then you have to walk a half a mile up a steep incline to finally get to the top of Klingman's Dome and to the observation tower that's built there above the tree line. About halfway up, the clouds rolled in, blocking the moonlight and dispersing its light. Acid rain has killed trees on top of the mountain. And they stood there silhouetted in their eerie darkness with their arms reached imploringly to the sky as if for more life that would never come. 
The clouds rolled in, blocking, dispersing. We joked a little bit about what we would see up there and a lot about what might be seeing us as we walked up there. Lots of animals are nocturnal. They hunt at night. For me, a wildcat, a lion, a bear, a wolf, these are all mascots for basketball teams. <laughs> Up here, there are predators looking for snacks. And I recalled some Wild Kingdom program which said that African lions stalk the herd and keep the herd healthy by calling the old and the weak. I don't know what I was thinking when I took two guys 25 years younger than I am. But with advancing years, sometimes there's a pearl of wisdom, and so I quietly slip between my sons-in-law. <laughs> we climbed the tower, but the darkness only deepened and the clouds seeped into us. We knew we would not see any stars that night. I found my desire to see the stars giving way to a profound desire for light. Shift scenes with me, if you please. This man outbid his competitors. He said he could raise more tax money for more people than anybody else in the province. Unspoken was they didn't care how you did it. Treachery, extortion and the fact that you would get wealthy because of your treachery and your extortion. It meant you were a traitor to your own people and that you were despised with all the social and religious alienation that went with that despising. Why would you choose to be a pariah? What emptiness is inside that you try to fill with wealth? What fear drove him to such betrayal? Whatever it was, he found himself alone, and the heart is a lonely hunter. He compromised himself with the empire, the rich and the powerful. And at the other end were those who would have nothing to do. They're called the Pharisees. They believed in purity, a religious rigidness, and they insisted on purity, and they would judge the Matthew tax collectors of this world harshly. And later, Matthew, this tax collector, would recall that Jesus said that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, or you'll not get into heaven. It's interesting who recalled those words. Now, I know I've never said a good thing about the scribes and the Pharisees, or at least you've never heard me say a good thing, and there's a reason for that, because I haven't. But in that day, the culture and religion honored them. They were the most committed people of their religion. Why would Jesus say you got to be better than they are? Why would Jesus extend a welcome to a pariah like Matthew? Both bring the darkness. Both made choices based on fear, fear of not having enough, so it's okay if I step over people or step on people just so my pockets are filled or the fear of not being good enough for a holy God, so you have to do everything just right. I ask myself often when I study, with whom do I identify in this passage? 
I never identify with the Pharisees. And yet for this one, I had to ask myself, what about the Pharisee inside you? Problems plague Pharisees. Most of us have been taught to be good and work hard. We develop a sense of rightness and honor. So did the Pharisees. Yet honesty compels me to say, I, my own goodness is flawed. And because of those flaws, my judgments are often hypocritical. If I am too sure and too certain of my own goodness, it's so easy to harshly judge those who do not do the right. Easy to become harsh and bitter and corrode relationships. And I make a questionable assumption that my right is the right. Mostly living up to a standard of perfection just cripples us. I can never be good enough. And it wouldn't matter what you thought of me. I could deflect anything you said about my goodness with my own inner self-disgust because I know I'm not good enough. And the strong statement that our righteousness, our justice must exceed that of the Pharisees, it sounds like such a harsh word. But if someone is hurtling toward the cliff, to yell stop is a kind word. It is a saving word. Interesting that Matthew arranges his material, including the saying of Jesus, as the theme of the Sermon on the Mount. This same Matthew who heard two words a few chapters later, the words, follow me. <laughs> you got to think, what? Nobody puts his name on a list. Nobody lists the local pariah for your Christmas list. Nobody puts it at the bottom of the list. You don't even think to put it on the list. Nobody invited Matthew to anything. Matthew would hear those words, follow me. Likely he heard Jesus and heard of Jesus. Likely he, he had heard the fevered whispers of Messiah and Son of God. But today he heard something addressed, addressed to him. Follow me. And for, for Matthew, light began to dawn in his darkness with a simple invitation and it's Matthew who records these statements, these beatitudes of how to live honorably in this world, the polar opposite of what he'd done. And the light dawned with this welcome. Is it possible God could care for someone like Matthew or me? And Matthew records these simple words, you are the light of the world me? I want to ask what's plan B. Yet apparently Jesus said this with a straight face. The Reverend Janet Hunt tells of visiting Hope Haven. It's a homeless shelter in DeKalb, Illinois. It's where her parish is located. And she learned that Hope Haven is second only to the county jail in terms of housing the mentally ill. And she says the lights shined with laser brightness on her conscience when she learned that they were rationing toilet paper for the residents. 
I don't know how you ration toilet paper. And so she went back to her church, and this whole month of February, they're collecting toilet paper for Hope Haven to be distributed to the most vulnerable among us. Reverend Hunt says she hopes to start a community conversation as to why it's the jail and the homeless shelter that house all the mentally ill. Why is there no better alternative? You are the light of the world. When you give and collect personal hygiene items to take to Highland Community Ministries or to immigrants arriving in Louisville, you're the light of the world. And when you listen to and embrace those who come to us from a background of traumatizing theology and who have lived with harsh judgments, you give belonging and you bring the light. You're the light of the world. When we put crosses on the lawn, stark reminders of the violence in our city, but also a reminder that there's such a better way you are the light of the world. And when we embrace light for ourselves, allowing it to shine within us, and we learn about ourselves, and when we face the fears and brokenness within, we let the light chase the shadows away and know that we're becoming light. And that shame and guilt are exposed in that light for the imposters they are. Perhaps we realize, like Matthew, that the light of God shines in our darkness. And perhaps we can hear the same invitation to follow. Where is your light needed? Where is the light of Highland Baptist Church needed? As I've asked myself that, I keep coming back to the growing polarization and increasing animosity that pushes us into a civil war of words and attitudes that seemed to me just a couple of steps removed from absolute violence. And light asks a question of me. I don't know what it asks you, but this is what it asks me. How do you, Jim, contribute to the polarization and the animosity? Makes me ask again, what's plan B if you think I'm the light of the world? A few years ago, I sat in a conference and sat at the same table with one participant who spoke up angrily and said, every problem we have is caused by aging white heterosexual males. And speaking as an aging white heterosexual male, I wondered if he loved me. And I thought about growing up in an all-white church and going to an all-white school enjoying all the privileged position that I had without even knowing it. I thought about repeating the ugly things about people of color and people of different orientation because that's what the adults said. I thought about affirming strongly that I believed every word of the Bible, even though I'd never read every word, hadn't even read every book in the Bible. And I asked myself, how did I change my mind? Without fail, I changed my mind because there were people at every turn who loved me, who kindly disagreed, who offered more information and understanding, who offered education, but they freed me because they never made their friendship conditional on my agreeing with them. 
And so I was free to consider new possibilities, new ideas about equality and justice and acceptance. I could be free to learn to understand others instead of just repeating the condemnation I heard growing up. And light began to filter in. And I did not like what I saw. Admitting you're wrong is hard. Opening our eyes to see through the eyes of love is hard. When we truly love others, we open ourselves to a lot of pain. What part of you needs God's light? What part of your world needs God's light? What happens to this text if we substitute justice for the word righteousness? They're very close in their meaning. Our justice-seeking, justice-living must exceed the self-seeking justice of the religiously rigid. This passage follows the Beatitudes describing how to live honorably in difficult times, how to be light in dark places, to do so with humility and mercy and gentleness, with peacemaking as a goal and with a thirst, a deep hunger for justice. You're the light of the world. There is no plan B. Amen.